everybody. Welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. I'm Molly. And she's the better looking one of the duo. We are a podcast, obviously, because you're listening to it. Uh, we have slightly irreverent, that's mostly my fault, takes on um, family, food, fun, and just random things going on in our lives. I don't think our takes on food are irreverent. They're passionate. They are very passionate. But not irreverent because I, I don't allow you to say things like culinary orgasm and I don't I <laughs> passionately hate Ow. the term food porn. Ah, uh, okay, fair. I did have my buddy Ty texted me and asked if I wanted it cuz it's sunny out. He's like, "You want to smoke a stick and drink some coffee?" And I'm like, "The sun might be out, but it's really really cold." Mm. And then at the same time, my Buddy who roasts, he's a world-renowned coffee roaster living right here in the small town of Billings, Montana. He texts me and goes, hey, how do you like your uh, Ratio 8 coffee maker? And I was like, I don't have it yet. So now all I've wanted all afternoon was to smoke my pipe and drink some coffee. Remember last week when I drank a cup of coffee in Mm -hmm. the afternoon, a very rare occasion to me, and I was talking at time and a half? I don't think you were talking at time and a half, but if you guys listened to last week's episode, Molly had mentioned that she was was amped. She was drinking a coffee, which might have been a bad idea. And I had she, to take a unison to go to sleep at right. night. You you just you texted me like an hour after the show and was like, I'm just jittery. I don't think that this is a, a good idea. <laughs> exactly. I'm sort of generally jittery and a little bit nervous. <laughs> and yeah. Um oh, I actually disagree with you about it being cold outside. I just slipped on my boots. And walked through the snow in my capri leggings and my three-quarter length sleeve. My three-quarter length sleeve people are weird and hard t-shirts. Uh-huh. Which I'm wearing my... I think I said I think I said people are weird and hard probably a dozen times yesterday to four or five different groups of people or people. So it really is, you guys, if you don't know this, this is a family motto for us. We have two family mottos so far. And they are butter makes everything better except cereal because our family passionately loves butter to the point where when you went shopping with our friend to Costco the other day and you were like, and grab four things of Kerrygold butter. So he bought, he picked up one pack that had four bricks in it. And you were like, no, 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 (laughs) we need four of the four packs. Yeah. When I say four things, I need four. And that only lasted us like a day. No, 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 no. That's a month's worth of butter for us. Is it really? That's, I get, I get essentially one four pack of Kerrygold, which is a cup. So it's four cups of Kerrygold. One of those lasts us a week. So I get four for a month's supply because I try to only do Costco once a month because I spend $400 there, whether I go every week or whether I go once a month. Well, it's more like five. If you guys don't know me very well, I speak in hyperbole a lot. Last night, speaking of butter, this was kind of cute. I threw my back out yesterday morning on my way to Bible study and um, it's been a lot of pain. So I didn't go to small group yesterday because I didn't want to get in a car. It's also why I didn't pull my truck in the garage last night, even though it was snowing. I didn't want to get in it. Well, it's warm out, so it's melted off Um, the car now. Well, I stayed home with our toddler, our two-year-old, and she was just in one of those moods. She was like, no, no. Do you want to read a book? No. Do you want to have a snack? No. You want to come over and nuggle with me? Because I like nuggles. No. And she was kind of on the verge of crying this whole time because you guys left and she was left with me. So anyway, 
All that to say is I ended up reading Mercy Watson, and all Mercy wanted was toast with melted butter. With a great deal of butter. A great deal of butter. Yes. Um, if you guys aren't familiar with Kate DeCamillo's book series, Mercy Watson, Mercy is a pig who lives with Mr. and Mrs. Watson, and her favorite treat in the whole wide world is toast with a great deal of butter. And this, this and is actually butter really interesting. Candies. I heard an interview with someone candies. once. So every Mercy Watson book ends with whoever, whomever has gotten entangled into whatever adventure Mercy the pig has had. And it's usually people in the neighborhood and sometimes This was Eugenia from- and her sister. Uh, Baby. Baby. I made baby talk like this. I mean, and Eugenia was always kind of singing. Oh, see, for me, baby talks like this. Yeah. And Eugenia says, pigs do not belong in houses. <laughs> um, so I liked Ned the fire, my Ned voice. And Lorenzo, the other fire guy, was Italian. I can't keep... Ned's like, fire department. Yep, this is Ned. And then Lorenzo's like, do you know where we need to go? It's a pig in a tree. See, I always end up doing the same voices for Ned and Lorenzo. I can't keep them straight. But every, so at the end of this book, everyone comes to the Watson's house for toast with butter. Toast with a great deal of butter on it. Mm -hmm. And um, she wrote this entire series after having a conversation with a friend about what a simple pleasure buttered toast is. Oh, I love the entire toast. series came out of that. But I was listening to an interview with her, and I th- I think it was um, what's her name, the Read Aloud Revival gal, Sarah McKenzie. Mm-hmm. Sarah McKenzie is interviewing her. She's one of her like most fun interviewees, and she's done it several times. If you check out the Read Aloud Revival podcast, and Kate said on there that somebody had once asked her why she ends every book with a feast, or. And she so does. Every she, sing- yeah, well, it's party. not just every single Mercy Watson. Kate DiCamillo is a prolific writer of very lovely children's books. She has one of them is a there's a movie coming out called Flora and Ulysses. I don't think it's out yet, but I really want to see it because she has spoken glowingly about the conversion. Flora is a little girl and Ulysses is a squirrel who gets sucked through Flora's mom's um vacuum cleaner (laughs) and ends up getting superpowers from the vacuum cleaner that's hilarious so anyway but every single one of her books like um her probably her best known one oh man what's the mouse you haven't read it despero the tale of despero is the tale of despero okay so despero is one of her oldest and best known Mm -hmm. books but and then um because of winn dixie is her other probably best known one because of winn dixie ends with a neighborhood backyard meal Everyone is together. Things have resolved. And she, apparently someone asked her why she did that. And she was like, I didn't realize I did that. It oh, that's just funny. Really? It seems like the best way to have a happy ending and have everything resolve at the end of all of my books. Like eating, yeah. eating warm buttered toast is, or, you know, having... The family together after in Winn Dixie. Spoiler alert! Like she loses the dog in a rainstorm, and it's the it's the dog is is very meaningful to her. She she loses Winn Dixie the dog, and she it, it's this desperate search for the dog. They find it. Everyone has split up from this backyard picnic and comes back together, 
in a feast celebration. And I don't even know if Kate DiCamillo is a Christian, but it's so symbolic the way, you know, it's so Christian. Yeah. The, the everything ends in a feast with reconciled, happy people. Like the Bible ends <laughs> with happy people eating together. <laughs> No. Yes, it does. And um, so- and they're eating buttered toast. My biggest deliberation when I have toast or make toast in the morning is, do I add cinnamon sugar to this toast? Because I love just buttered toast so much. It is really Even good. today, I went upstairs to get my tea before... A, a, you guys, I, I voice, uh, voiced a trailer, a video game trailer today, which was kind of cool. It's a virtual, virtual reality game. I voiced the trailer today. So I went upstairs to get some tea because I like to drink throat coat when I do my voice stuff. And Titus, and I walk in, I walk upstairs and, they, we're and, having and toast you guys are eating snack. toast. And I'm like, toast. oh, and I wanted the toast so bad, but anybody who talks a lot or knows anything about voice stuff, if you have dairy right before a VO session, it's just sticky and gunky and just no bueno. Bread does the same thing. So I didn't, I didn't do that, but I'll bet you guys didn't know all the podcast fans, speaking of pigs, that even though Eugenia doesn't believe a pig belongs in the house, Molly had a pig growing up. I had a pig. And if you knew anything about her crusty, slightly intimidating father, um, you would, it would just make you laugh Yeah, that your dad would put up with a pig. That cracks me up. Yeah. My dad also went to great lengths to help get rid of the pig because (laughs) I went off to college and he was just neglected and he was starting to get kind of mean. Uh, because he wasn't getting a lot of attention and we'd had him like 10 years at that point and the and pot-bellied pigs who are pets live for 18 to 25 years and you can't make bacon out of them you, right? no there it's for bad. one is illegal actually to really? to kill and eat exotic pets and they're considered an exotic pet and for two huh. they just don't really have i mean it would be eat like eating a not exactly but sort of like eating a springer spaniel you know, like there's probably some meat on him, but not really, really to speak oh. of. Not yeah. all pigs were delicious. Maybe only not some Vietnamese pot bellied pigs. But I mean, I I don't know. We didn't really try it. We found a refuge for him because there's people who love these discarded exotic pets that people buy in a flurry of sixth grade love of pets, which I always feel a little bit guilty telling the kids, like, no, I don't want more pets. We have a cat, we have a dog. We're happy. Like, you know, if, well, if I could have a pet, I would have a guinea pig. If I could have a pet, I would, Titus would have another dog and another cat. Elise would have a guinea pig and Lily would have a bunny. And I'm like, do you guys know what happens when you travel? You have to pay someone to come take care of them. And you know what happens? I don't have any concept of that. So, okay. Getting back to the frigid cold. Oh my gosh. Our cat always, she prefers to go to the bathroom outside and I'm fine with that. So I haven't changed her kitty litter probably in close to a year because it's there, but she doesn't use yeah, it. Yeah, she doesn't use it very much Until all. last week when she would sit staring out the back door and I would let her out and it's 20 below. So she would immediately turn around and walk back in. And I don't blame her. And the snow is deep. It's The snow is deeper than she is tall. So she can't exactly go like scratch a hole in the snow and poop in it. And it's 20 below. Even though she's and we were feeling lazy, got and not, a great, We weren't cleaning off the patio either. Well, it, not she's still she not going to go that, far enough yeah. to, to. Anyway, so she was using the kitty litter box, which thankfully she remembered how to use and that it was there, and that was what she was supposed to do. 
but it got to the point where I was like, oh, oh, this is something I should be doing. I don't like the smell in our mudroom. It is really <laughs> It was gross. really bad. And it was gross it was really enough that bad. she had, I, I'm washing them right now. She had peed on a pile of towels. Oh, she I knew it. Over. It was so gross. I was that in there doing laundry and I was so like, gross. I feel yeah, like she the for sure. And it might have, it might have sunk through to a rug. So I also need to wash the rug in the laundry room. But anyway, so you said it's bitterly cold out. It is not. You could put on a long sleeve, like a light jacket. I didn't say bitter. I said still really cold. I opened the door, stuck my head out, and I'm like, still cold, and put the. Okay, so I walked out to the compost pile. This is like circling, circling back from the rabbit trail. That was two episodes ago. A long time ago. Circling back. And, um, to the compost pile and I was comfortable in my t-shirt and my capri leggings and my boots jumping through the snow. I probably would have been cold if I'd been out for long, but man, after the bitter cold, the sun is shining. I I really wanted to spend more time outside (laughs) instead of coming down here. I get an email from our ski patrol director. I volunteer on a ski patrol on our local ski mountain. And he sends out an email to everybody today. He's like, hey, everybody, thanks for all your work, yada, yada, yada. You know, the weather's, it's it's so much nicer that it's warm out now. It makes the teens and 20s feel positively balmy or something it does. like that. It's, <laughs> it's really funny. It does. It is. But, I'm going to wear shorts. Um, I was thinking, though, while I was walking out there, not only, man, it's nice to see the sun again, but we for science have been studying for a couple weeks, a couple, maybe two months ago, we were studying dirt. Like what is dirt made of? And we went outside. Unfortunately, winter here has been super mild. So we got some pieces of gravel and we crushed them with a hammer and saw like some dirt is composed of this. And then we got dug some dirt out of different parts of our yard. So we have a ditch behind our house. So we got ditch water, which is mostly like really thin silt or ditch dirt. So it's this silt and it was just really thin. And then we got some out of different parts of the garden and you guys, for the longest time, we had these jars of dirty water that were starting not, to separate on our counter well, for like they were a week su- and a they half. They were supposed to separate because you're supposed to. I know. It was so just really weird. I was like, and then, what? And then what, this is gross. What's heavy, the heaviest stuff settles right. first and you can see the layers of what dirt is composed of. I'm going to make my chocolate protein shake while staring at gunky, skunky water. You really have a problem with dirt? No. No, I did yesterday read our, last night, read, read Faith, our toddler. Up in the garden, down, down in, the dirt, in the dirt, very dramatically. In okay. fact, I did it in the voice I used for my video game trailer today. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> I was actually thinking one of the things about even that book, Down in the Dirt, like the worms chew through them, eat through the mm-hmm. dirt and make it more nutritious. And we have this compost pile and it's fun to have experienced that part of the science firsthand because some of what dirt is composed of is ground up rocks right. and sand and things like that. Rotting but some food. of No, well, that's different. Ground up rocks are minerals. Oh, right. Um, but the rotting food, and it's one thing to read about it in a book, but it's another thing. We have, guys, we have three different containers that are just pallets, squares made out of pallets that JR threw together and so you you fill one you use them at different times so you fill one and you let that sit and compost and then you work on filling another one so the for the first years will be available for dirt to add into our soil compost to add into our garden this year and then like we're adding to the third one all winter but it just is frozen right now so it's not actually composting 
The middle one, we will stop adding to. That's the one we added to all summer last year, but it's not going to be composted enough for for soil for this year. But it's for the kids, it's pretty amazing. And for me too, I'm not going to lie. You read it, you can read about it in a science book, or you can even know that you go into a forest and all of the rotting logs and the rotting leaves that have fallen off of the trees end up back as part of the dirt and that nourishes something else. But to actually watch your banana peels and your eggshells and all of the other, like we do, if I'm not, it sometimes we do like bread crusts if it's not bread with a bunch of stuff added to it, but then that also adds risk that the dog's going to jump into the compost pile and eat it. He loves the compost pile. But you know, you buy a Costco box of spinach and you get halfway through it and then the bottom is mushy and tastes gross. So we dump that into the compost pile. We put leaves from when we rake our trees in the, in the fall in there and you're supposed to have a certain balance and I'm not nearly as careful about that as the internet tells me I should be. But that first pile is rich brown soil. Wow. It's so crazy to think like we can go to the store and we can buy this rich brown soil, but where that came from? Cuz last is year we couldn't last year it. we couldn't really use a bunch of it cuz it was still it was still in the process, yeah. but by the but now this year that first pile is pretty much just rich brown soil. That's crazy. It's cool. so crazy how God created the world to recycle, and you add all of these different components. Even you guys, as I'm studying, what can you put in here, and what do you not want to put in there? Like you, some people will put paper shreds in there. They'll shred their paper. But most paper is bleached and has a lot of chemicals in it. Yeah. So more natural-minded people don't want to add shredded paper to it. Um, but like fingernail clippings and hair. So like when I find cat hairballs all over, I put those in the compost pile because they, I think they add nitrogen, hmm. particularly to the soil. So if you clean out your hairbrush, you chop it up because it takes hair longer to do. Well, I know I've, I've, because I've been, I've been, I threaten every time you have the sourdough mix sitting out to like run some beard, put some beard flakes in there. That's gross. Like they do with that beard beer well, out of that's, Oregon. That's actually for like the bacteria. Yeah. Yeah. So in compost, your sourdough, uh-huh. compost piles also need a thriving bacteria, which is why it doesn't compost in the winter. Not only is it frozen, but the bacteria right. that breaks stuff down can't thrive. And so, um, anyway, I just think it's it's really cool to see science in action and then as a believer to know that God created the world to work in this particular way where for sure nothing goes to waste. Speaking of things going to waste, <laughs> I I read <laughs> on the inter- on capital T capital I the internet this morning that I think it's by the year 2050 the amount of discarded solar panels that are worn out and don't oh, work no. anymore, the amount of garbage from those will be double all of the plastic waste produced globally thus far ever. Well, and we've already seen all the the, the graveyard windmills. the windmill graveyards. Crazy. Yeah. I really like the idea of solar power. I hope I do I really, too. I think it's cool. In our current in our current economic environment it has the potential to save money oh, and it time. is if we're you know you just bought solar panels so we can be camping off grid and still have electricity and there's really no unless you have a generator there's really right. no other way to produce energy from what's around you 
And so I think that's super cool. I just hope that they figure out a way to reuse solar panels and windmill turbines or windmill tubes or whatever. But um, yeah, we, how disposable are they? I mean, how often do we have to get new ones? I don't know. My, the ones at the cabin have been on for almost fifteen years. Yeah, been out there forever. And fifteen they don't years. Seem, that's not forever. Efficiency doesn't seem to have like decreased on those at all. I don't know. We have replaced the batteries because I'm still kind of waiting for Tesla to put in a solar roof on their cars. I'm surprised they haven't done that yet. Yeah, but I don't know. Anyway, hmm, you had something. You had something. You pinged me this week, early this week, and said, "Remind me." To talk to you on the show about teenagers losing their brains or something like that. Yeah. Their brains going to mush. Maybe that was the phrase. Brains turning to mush. Yeah. Yeah. So it was actually just last night that I pinged you from Smog. Was that last night? Because I had that thought while you were at home with Faith. It seems like forever ago. Yeah. A lot of water under the bridge in less than 24 hours. (laughs) Um, I've done so much today. I So yesterday morning, I had a phone call with Kana Vox, the group I work with. And we focus on marriage and sex sexuality issues. But this was a really interesting side topic that is related. But we we were discussing a chapter out of a book called You're Teaching My Child What by Miriam Grossman. And she's a doctor slash psychiatrist, which is an MD. Psychiatrists? Yes. Psychologists are not. Psychiatrists are. Um, And she has done a lot of work in exposing sex ed, particularly the agenda of sex ed in public schools. And in this particular chapter, she's really hammering on why are they trying to get really young kids sexually active? And a lot of... It's... it From... From our side, from the it's not healthy body, mind, or soul for young kids to be encouraged to be sexually active, it's a little bit baffling to see kids younger and younger being taught, like, this is what a sex toy is, or, you know, you should really experiment and see what's pleasurable so that when you and your partner or you and whomever doesn't necessarily have to be a committed partner decide you're ready and you set the parameters for what's mutually consensual for the two of you um then you know you're all set you know what to do and you know it there's really no line for when you're ready it's just here's a checklist of things to think about and to talk about and there are things like, you know, do you agree about the purpose of having sex with the person you're going to do it with? Do you agree about what's okay? Do you have a way to communicate that you don't like something or that it hurts? Things like that. And it's like, yeah, they're, they're handing out these checklists to sixth graders nowadays in some <clears throat> in some areas. And she, this is not what I was going to talk about, but <clears throat> I was reminded in reading this chapter a couple of years ago when I... I wonder if this is going to make you have to take the show explicit. Probably. A couple of years ago, when when I first read this particular chapter in the book, she points out that physiologically, our bodies, the female body in particular, has a way of saying, I'm not ready to be sexually active. And the cervix has a layer, has an area called the transformation zone or the T-zone, doctors call it. And apparently, 
There are entire medical school textbooks written about the cervix that she has come across as she <laughs> started. Funny. Yeah, as she because it's such an incredible, crazy organ. But in a teenage girl, this transformation zone is one cell thick. And as you mature, it thickens to the point where a sexually mature woman, so 30 years old up, mm-hmm. it's like 30 cells deep. Wow. And the purpose of this is to protect the cervix from foreign invaders, it's things that cause STIs specifically or any infection. Um, so in a young girl, one cell does one one layer of cells doesn't provide much protection, but 30 cells provides deep, 30 layers of cells provides a whole lot of protection. And this zone doesn't thicken up until you're in your 20s, unless you become sexually active. And then your body is triggered somehow to know Hmm. that it should start thickening that up and that will accelerate it. The trick is... Interesting. The trick is when you... If if you're young and that's not mature and it's triggered to start rapidly reproducing these cells and thickening up, often you're becoming sexually active with someone who could be introducing infection and the cells that are reproducing are infected cells, therefore getting you sick, like giving your body a place to multiply these infected cells, which is... Why we have something like, I can't remember the crazy number, something like one in four girls in the United States has a sexually transmitted infection, which is the new, like, it's not a disease. Like, some infections can be cured up, but some of them can cause long-term health problems for women. But anyway, so that's one of my favorite things. Like, for me, having grown up in the true love weights world and the the Josh Harris, what's it, what was his book called? I said I kissed, no. I kissed dating goodbye. Um, that was past my time. My mom was like, "Have you read that?" And I'm like, "No, I'm not going to read that." That wasn't past your time. Yeah, it was. was we were in high school when it came out. Uh, and, no. Yeah, we were. I um, was close to. I was. That was late for me. That felt like it came on. As I think I was, I was in high in school when it came out. Anyway, I, was, so, I graduated year. But ahead we of have you, to though. say him like this. Or say him like this at the other side of our mouth. Yeah. Um, cause I don't think, does anybody like that anymore? I mean, he certainly doesn't like it and the world that he now inhabits. I never, I never read it. I didn't like it. I didn't didn't like the idea behind it. Anyway, of course you didn't. Anyway. (laughs) Um, so I grew up in this true love weights world and for the most part, it was all like, just say no. God doesn't want you to have sex outside of marriage. True love weights for marriage. Your best sex is going to be when you're married. But there was no tangible scientific evidence to say God actually designed your body to not be ready to have safe sex. And by safe sex, I don't mean having a condom, but for your body to actually be ready to be sexually active, for females anyway. God did not, you know, God designed your body and your marriageable age to mature together. And I find it incredibly empowering to have things like this. My girls are probably going to be sick to death of hearing about their cervixes. But to have there's but there's all sorts of other stuff too, emotional stuff. Um, you know, when when you have sex, both male and female bodies release oxytocin, which is a bonding hormone. Females release more of it and it interacts with 
our female hormones to create a stronger effect. But men and women both do. And it's a bonding hormone, which means like for men, actually what you're looking at while you're having sex actually creates neural pathways, which is part of why pornography is so dangerous. I, me- and I mentioned that to a friend of mine and but- I was like, dude, what you, what you look at when you're jerking off, man, it's not good. If you're staring at porn, he's like, his eyes get really big. It's like, oh crap, it's, I'm screwed. It's true. It's like, it- well, I shouldn't use that no. pun. <laughs> no, it is true. So, so, but the, but it's the oxytocin that that, right. that part of what feeds that for you. Um, didn't but, you have? But so, didn't somebody... so young girls who are having sex or hookup culture in college or beyond, you're actually your body is actually saying, like, oh, bond with this person because that's what your body's created to do. Right. And there's huge rates of depression that are probably related. <laughs> didn't didn't um, Katie Faust have like a She's called it something really funny. It was, sex goggles. Sex goggles, kind of like beer goggles. Yeah. Like sex was it, was it, goggles. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It Hol- you... No, she called it holy sex goggles. So, she holy added sex the holy goggles. sex goggles. Well, the funny part is, and I, I can think, I can think back, and this is going to sound super judgmental, very, very poor of me. But you know, sometimes, like as a guy, I look at, I look at, uh, you know someone else and i'm like how could he like she's not that attractive what you want to have sex with that you know or be like what you know and then it's like i know it sounds terrible coming out of my mouth um but then you're like when you make that statement it's like oh yeah because you just get more and more attracted but it's also true it's not just the sex yeah. makes you more and more attracted but there's also a thing to be said for personality for both men and women fair fair um but we don't need to go into some people's personalities. We'll just say people, <laughs> people are, are weird and hard. <laughs> God some made us all to have different struggles. Some of us are more attractive than others. <laughs> some of us are weirder than others. Some of us are harder than others. Um, some of us are ruder and more judgmental than others. Yeah. yeah um, some of us are more likable to keep it, than to others. Keep, to keep the puns going, I'm the dick on this episode. Um, okay. Okay, so... <laughs> There's two places I could go from this because you brought up Katie Faust, but I'm going to, I'm going to continue on the teenage boys. Yes. So, so so in this chapter also, uh, of you're teaching my child, what by Miriam Grossman, she, she cites tons of psychological evidence. And this is not sex educator uh, related stuff. It's, um, it's, it's, brain research stuff and they've done functional MRIs on kids as they're developing and she cites in here that years ago they used to think that the most explosive amount of brain development happened in in a person from like ages zero to five but and this is gonna not be a really good version of the book but what happens when kids, especially boys, but boys and girls hit puberty, is it's almost like the caterpillar in the cocoon. Like, it just turns into a bunch of mush. And the brain reorganizes itself. And they know this by doing functional MRIs. So they watch MRIs while the brain is processing different things. And they see it reorganizing itself over a number of years up into, like, the mid to late 20s. 
So from like when you wow. hit puberty to your mid to late 20s. I mean, I've heard that stat, but I didn't realize right. it was backed up by like, the MRI stuff. Right. So she's like, I mean, car company, car rental companies have known this for years because they wouldn't rent to people under the age of 25. Right. And there's other statistics oriented thing, like companies and industries that have been like, look, accidents go down after the, after this particular age. But it's because the... so. Last week on the show, we talked about the upstairs and the downstairs brain and little kids. Well, that the downstairs brain, the amygdala, which is the fight or flight uh, reacting brain, basically takes back charge when you're a teenager. And the the frontal cortex, is it prefrontal cortex or the frontal cortex? Anyway, the rational logic thinking brain is overcome by the amygdala again in this massive mush reorganization that happens in the teenage up to mid-20s brain. Fascinating. And which means, so her point is, and here we're telling, we're saying like, if we just give kids all the facts about risk and we give them condoms and we're like, go be responsible. She's like, you don't do that with cars. Because you know that you give a kid a Corvette, he's not a 14, 15 year old kid, he's not gonna go be responsible. And again, in the functional MRIs, you get if you <laughs> if you add pressure or you add emotional excitement, the amygdala, the fight or flight reacting brain takes over even more. Do you so so you so she's like, look, you like the whole the whole um, you know, sex ed curriculum in America writ large is built around we're going to give them facts and trust them to make good decisions in the heat of the moment when their brains have turned to mush already. <laughs> the the Facebook ad for that Toyota Camry you sent and you, you said... Uh, there was oh, a Facebook ad yeah. for Toyota Camry. You said, "Do we?" I thought we'd talk to somebody who needed a car and I read the ad and it, and it was like, the person describing that was like, this is a really great Toyota Camry, super reliable, super dependent, and was actually in really good uh, physical condition until it started being driven by a teenager. And like now it's the six front months is, ago. Now the front, <laughs> the front is dented smashed, and the side it's is got scratches up. all over. <laughs> <laughs> the upholstery is not in good shape anywhere. Yes. Okay. So, so oh, what I loved teenagers. about that particular conversation is on the phone call I was on, besides it is just interesting. <clears throat> The phone call that I was on is a mom with four boys and her oldest is maybe two years older than Titus. And she's like, I tell my boys this all the time. When you get a little bit older, your brain is going to turn to mush and you're going to start making tons of horrible decisions. But look at me. I love you and I've got your back. When your brain is mush, I help you. I've got your back. I'm here for you. I'm going to help you make good decisions. I'm going to be there for you when you make bad decisions. I'm going to remind you that you've got a mush brain <laughs> and that you need my help. I've got your back. And nice. I was like, I love starting young with that. So I actually, like, I, somehow the girls were off doing something. It was just me and Titus in the kitchen. And I was like, Titus, <laughs> this is what I talked about. I've actually decided when I'm on these Canavox calls. Did he get angry and walk away? No, he was actually kind of intrigued because I was like, look, this is what my friend this is part of what we talked about. We talked about how your brain develops mm -hmm. and you know, this is, she's got four boys. Some of them are your age. And he was like, well, how old exactly are they? And I was like, I don't know. So I need to like find her Instagram and show him pictures of them and be like, these are the kids whose mom says 
your brain is going to turn to mush and you're going to have a really hard time making good decisions. And I've got your back. I'm God put me in your life to help you make good decisions, to help protect you, hopefully, from the consequences of being in this vulnerable stage of life where you can't be trusted to make good decisions because your brain just is rewiring. So, and I told him about it. It's almost like your brain will be in a cocoon. And if you were to cut open a cocoon halfway between caterpillar and butterfly stage, you would find goo. You would not find anything recognizable as a caterpillar or a butterfly. Super wild. And this is coming to you, Titus. (laughs) You are going to be a boy who does stuff and we're like, what were you thinking? You'll be like, uh. I wasn't. And that's exactly, she makes the point in this book. She's like, so when you ask a teenage boy, what were you thinking? And they say, I wasn't. She's like, it's actually true. (laughs) (laughs) Like, scientifically speaking, their brains were not rationally thinking about anything their brains were simply being controlled by the responsive emotive reactive part of the brain i'm trying to think back to my years and i can't actually think about anything from then i don't i don't have any memory of because that. your brain was mush no it's not That's true it's the divorce oh it's the divorce i lost all of my short memories, memories from before then from your teenagers you, were, yeah. you remember stuff from when you were younger mm. no i've got a few like fuzzy memories but i don't remember you remember I don't that your remember sister very much. like housekeeper was always named Millie when you played. Yeah, that was when I was like twelve. Probably younger so. than that. I have a few vague memories of random things here and there, but it's really minimal. I don't remember any bad decisions I made. I'll put it that way. Mm, okay. Well, that's it might be for <laughs> reasons. Maybe we've blocked them out. So yeah, for good Okay. Cycling back. Reasons. We mentioned Katie Faust. She wrote a piece in the Federalist that I really liked and that kind of um, resonated with a couple of other things that we've conversations we've had in the last week. Um, Couple quite a while ago now, we talked about when I was skiing alone with the kids and some guy wanted to ride the lift alone with me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, "Uh, no, with COVID, we're not supposed to share the lift with people. (laughs) And plus it's me time. Well, I mean, in my head, yeah, I've got headphones in. This is the two and a half hours, literally, of my waking week when I don't have kids, like, when I'm not on call. And I don't want to spend 15 minutes on a lift making awkward small talk with somebody. And Laura, our friend Laura, who skis, was like, you should always ride the lift with strangers, which is funny to me because Laura strikes me as a pretty deep introvert. Yes. And so riding the lift with strangers is not a natural thing that I would think like, I bet Laura really likes to ride the lift with strangers, but she texted one of us or emailed us and said, you should always ride the lift with strangers because one of my friends at our little local ski area ended up riding the lift with, do you remember who it was? Was it like Dennis Quaid? Dennis Quaid. One time. And I was like, that's pretty cool. Still doesn't do it for me. I was told, I was told that, I remember getting off the lift. I don't remember who I was with, but we got off a chairlift. It was summertime. We were doing a tour visit. Maybe it was my mother. I don't remember. But we got off the lift and they turned to me and said, I think that was Edward James Olmos. I don't know who that is. So um, Admiral um, uh, Battlestar Galactica. Oh. Admiral uh, Adiram or something? Uh, No. 
I can't remember now. Okay. Somebody okay. on Battlestar The Admiral Galactica. who played Battlestar Galactica. I mean, this is years ago, so he wasn't he wasn't as old, but they were like, I think that was Edward James almost. And I didn't even I was like, who? That you'd ridden with? Yeah. Huh. On the chairlift. Well, that's fun. So So yeah. we were telling this to somebody else. I'm gonna Google him and try to think and Google him at the same time. We'll see if I can pull that off. Um we were telling this to somebody else and they were like totally trolling me. You should have ridden lift with him because who knows that you could have been one to share the gospel with him on that lift. <laughs> Jesus Jew. Right. And it actually they probably weren't expecting me to turn around and Jesus juke them. First I snarkily replied, Oh, okay. I recognize him. Still would not have recognized him on a chairlift. Oh, yeah. All bundled up in masks and goggles and ski helmets. Okay. He was also apparently Marty in Miami Vice. Um, Dennis Quaid was? No, Edward James almost. Oh. Huh. Okay. Which I didn't really watch. But, you know, there you go. So anyway, um, I, Jesus, juked them with, well, if if they're going to come to the Lord and I didn't do it, God is sovereign and he'll do it somehow through somebody else. But <laughs> um, it got me thinking about this Katie Faust piece in The Federalist that's called I'm not a powerful person, but I'm going to be part of saving America or something like that. And she talks about how what what America most needs is ordinary, faithful people who are showing by the power of example what lives that are good for society look like. In other words, having a family where people who come from all the forms of brokenness in our world, fatherlessness, drug abuse, just not consistent parenting, all of the different forms of brokenness, to be invited into a home or to have any experience of a home or a family where dad is around engaged, where... You know, the family eats meals together, things like that have an incredibly powerful example for people who don't have that. And then Brianna sent me a video. We had this conversation later, a similar conversation. She sent me a video from The Bachelor and the this season, I think, and I can't remember the contestant's name now, but there is a girl who in like her second conversation with the guy, she'd done her research. And so she knew that he'd been raised by a single mom and she started talking about, and they just showed the whole thing because they have to show it on TV. But she started talking about how, how when she was a kid, how much father hunger she had. And I don't think she ever knew her dad. And the, the bachelor had a similar knew of his dad, but knew that his dad didn't want him in his life. And they both had this deep grief as well as hunger for fathers. And they both agreed that they attached themselves to other families. And she Hmm. particularly said, I would look for big families because I knew that they would have so much life and love in them. And I would spend all of my time in the homes of these big families. Wow. And... And he didn't particularly have the big family thing, but she was like, that just, that has been my ideal for all of growing up because of the contrast of my home life. And she wasn't speaking disparagingly of her mom at all. She obviously loves her mom and is close to her, but the dis- the difference between her life at home with her mom 
and this life in a fa- in an intact family's home. She knew that this is what she wanted to aspire to when she grew up, which now she's on The Bachelor. So, you know, I don't know how that's going to work out for her, but she's got the goal. But so so this article is is essentially making the same case without The Bachelor example that that what we do by raising healthy families can have a tremendous impact. And you didn't you mention reading something similar to that in Rod Dreher? You don't remember. I don't remember. But yeah, I mean, he talks a lot about the need for the family nucleus because that's where you, you know, it's one of the few places you can live out complete truth and transparency. But I think he also talks about the power that the witness of that nuclear family can have just by being who you are. Yeah. Yeah, no, he made that he made that very comment. At least that's the 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 gist that you took the, away from it. The research, yeah, and the, what the research led to while he was researching what it looked like to live in the totalitarian societies. Yeah, but so yeah, the family itself, man, that was a good. It, I gotta find that that it can be a profound witness just by being a family, and you don't necessarily, you know, to. Is it attributed attributed to St. Francis of Assisi where you say preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words? Now I have to Google who said that because somebody's going to correct us. Um, But obviously we believe that words are necessary because you can't actually know the saving work of Christ without words. But um, so thinking about what sort of witness could I be to somebody on a chairlift? Saint, it is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Um, so the, the idea of what sort of witness could I be to somebody on a chairlift is when that person, that random person, is like, so what do you do? Well, I'm a stay-at-home homeschool mom of four, you know, and their jaw hits their skis because that's a bit of a unicorn in our day and age. And to be happy and content, which that is a challenge to me because both the happy and content with four kids where I'm wearing all the hats with them currently is an admitted challenge that I know I'm not alone in with other moms who are struggling to like their kids who are not always likable. Um, but, but I feel like in our day and age, when you meet a random stranger, when you're at the bar with your ski patrol buddies after a day of ski patrol, and somehow they come to find out that you've got four kids and that your wife homeschools them, and you don't necessarily, people out there listening, you don't necessarily have to have four or more kids or homeschool them. But if you're just being a faithful Christian, I think that more and more your life is going to stand out in stark contrast and you will have opportunities to give an answer for the hope that you have. And so you have to be ready for that as Peter says, you need to be ready to give a reason, but I think that the days of 
needing to be more forward with the gospel was it was were you ever in youth groups where they would use the phrase lifestyle evangelism kind of disparagingly I no, but I've been in environments where they do they they did use that disparagingly. Yeah, because yeah. you're because the idea was if you're for me in youth group growing up, you have to actually be inviting people to youth group, and right. you have to actually be telling right. them about Jesus. Your lifestyle isn't enough. You know, you being the only Christian on the basketball team, or you just being a quiet, shy, introverted Christian in AP calculus is not enough. Like you need to be telling people about Jesus. This lifestyle evangelism thing isn't cutting it. And, you know, at least do see you at the poll and wear a Christian t-shirt to school, you know. Um, but, But I think that a day is here. And certainly, I'm not saying that words and apologetic defense and preaching and things like that are not necessary, but... Have you heard about the pastor in Canada who's now in jail for having in-person church services? No, I haven't heard about this. The first person makes me angry. The first person to be arrested for holding in-person church services during COVID in North America. And um COVID's not that bad. We've had oh, less than half a million deaths. In this is in Canada. He's in Alberta. And I I saw the statistics Something like 0.0008% of their population is hospitalized with COVID right now. And something like 0.00, again, I'm going to use the number eight. I think they were both eights. Percent of the population even has COVID right now in the entire province. And so it's not exactly, but he was arrested for endangering public health and safety. I'm and embarrassed for my native country. Coasty Hin, who is, bit, I've started following him because I've started watching the American Gospel movies, which I will finish before I start talking about them on here. And I also have to cook, cook dinner in a few minutes. But um, he pointed out that if if somebody who is doing this in this sort of environment, we're really when you look at the numbers is not a public safety issue and you're like, well, why didn't he just follow the rules? He was arrested for not following the rules. And now he's not allowed to have communication with people because of COVID safety issues, quarantine issues. So he has to be quarantined for like two weeks before they'll let him have contact with anybody. Um, But where was I going with this? I forgot. It was anyway, it's a coasty hand makes the point that if, if, if you're going to just follow the rules in the interest of public safety, and this is a situation where following the rules is going to, you're going to be like, well, if he just had followed the rules, he wouldn't have been arrested. You're probably on a slippery slope. And this should be a pretty alarming precedent that has now been set. But, um, and, oh, I was just like, it's, it's interesting to be at a point in America where and Canada, our neighbors, where that is now not hypothetical. That's a very real possibility. Yeah. In the meantime, in the United States, the Supreme Court has actually affirmed churches' lawsuits against California that they were being more restrictive of churches than of other similar gatherings. And so churches have in California 
now have freedom to assemble things to the Supreme Court. And it wasn't just, I don't think it was just the conservatives. It was like a seven, two decision. Mm, yeah. But, um, <clears throat> I think they did affirm the no singing thing though. They can hum, but not sing or chant. And it's like 25% capacity, but still affirms freedom to assemble in the United States, which is a big deal. But it's crazy to be at a point where just being an actual in-person church attender is radical and makes a huge statement to surrounding people where you don't have to be on a street corner blaring to people that you're a Christian. You don't have to have stickers on the back of your car. You don't have to do these things that were more common in evangelicalism in the 1990s right. and made a statement about where your heart is and where your allegiance is. But nowadays, simply leaving your house on a Sunday morning dressed up makes a huge statement and simply uh, making time for family meals makes a huge statement and catechizing your kids or whatever sort of family worship is this radical, radical act showing where your allegiance is. Yeah. I couldn't find that, um, that quote, that drawer in there, but I, I feel like it was also, I was also reading maybe two or three other things at once and so just putting some things together. Um, but yeah, no, like living, just living our lives today in this environment, talking about the things, the sexual sexuality things that, you know, you're learning with the kids early on, you know, all that, all that just says something to the world mm -hmm. that's, you know, we're not normal people. But yeah. Anyway, we're I, close to out of time. Do you have another thought? I do. Yeah. Um, just in terms of, I was triggered. Give another thought. That was a redundant question. Of course you do. <laughs> I, no, I just was triggered with the, triggered, not in that way, um, with thinking about where our allegiance is. There was a comment that our pastor made in the sermon on Sunday that really struck me. And I'm, I wasn't thinking about this until now, so I'm trying really hard to think about mm -hmm. the context of it. But somehow it was, we're studying, we're, he's preaching through the book of Acts, and somehow the comment was made that God is a jealous God. And I can't remember what, what was the sermon about on Sunday? Was it, did somebody, did Ananias and Sapphira die? I think we're past that. Can't remember the passage, but Wow, I'm really struggling to even remember Sunday. <laughs> Were we around on Sunday? Yeah, we went to church on Sunday. And then we got Taco John's on the way home. <laughs> <clears throat> the reason I don't remember is because it was the first Sunday that I've actually not been sitting back in the live streaming the sound, sound booth. booth. And, you and I had with kids climbing yes. all over me the entire time. Yes, welcome to my life. Right. Um, Fair. Okay. But he made a comment about God being a jealous God and how that usually yes. comes across as petty and silly to people who read that and think about God as a jealous God. But... He was talking about, it wasn't, was it him? No, this was on American Gospel. Oh, see, now you're blending uh, now, all the things together. Now I'm blending all things together. No, so, he did make a comment about that, though. Did he? Yeah. So that's why it's, totally it's stuck did. with me twice. Because American Gospel, you guys, just to give you a preview too, Jared, because I think I want you to watch, mm -hmm. watch it. I'm watching Christ Crucified first because I clicked on the wrong link and ended up with the second one, which is about the atonement. The first one is about the prosperity gospel. And I was literally an hour in before I realized I wasn't watching the prosperity gospel one because I thought they were just being really 
reformed and laying an incredibly thorough foundation. <laughs> and after I'm like, man, it's been an hour and they're still establishing the centrality of Christ and his crucifixion in Christianity. When do they get the prosperity gospel stuff? And then I realized oh, funny. I'm in the wrong movie. I'm in the one about the centrality of Christ's crucifixion, That's funny. not the one about the prosperity gospel. It's like a three hour documentary, but they interview progressives who have essentially left Orthodox Christianity mm-hmm. and they they cast them very they they let them speak for themselves. They they don't try to cast them negatively and they let them present their case. This is why I don't believe in propitiation the propitiatory atone, you know, the anyway. I can't think of the word right now. Any more coffee. Um propitiationary. Propitiationary. Um, so so these <coughs> these guys who have left Christianity and are progressive or there's a podcast called like the deconstructionist, which is to like 30 somethings talking about their former faith and how they haven't left it, but they just don't believe all these things. And they're asking, I can't imagine building a whole podcast around that concept, but then Uh, our too busy flesh is just built around us talking. talking. But so, so that's, I'm combining the sermon on Sunday. Plus these guys are like, I mean, who, so these progressives are like, who wants a God who's jealous and petty and, you know, is going to throw a fit when you do something he doesn't like? And the the answer that was, what if I built a business from scratch? I, I create a product. I know how it's made. I know how it works. I know the best practices for making it. I go around and sell it. I'm running this business. And some dude just comes in and is like... <laughs> I'm going to run this business now. No, this is mine. I built it. It's got my blood, sweat, and tears in it. I'm going to be jealous for my business. And of course, the more obvious one... That was not on Sunday. That was in the okay, movie. Okay, the, <laughs> the more obvious example of jealousy would be a spouse where mm-hmm. you're like, like, we made promises to each other. We made kids together. You can't... Like, some woman can't just come in and be like to have a turn with them like that's not how a covenant relationship works it's not good for you it's not good for the creation that has come from you that's not so so i would be rightfully jealous at being wronged objectively wronged and a person a business owner is rightfully jealous to protect his business that he has built because it's his he made it and it's part of who he is. And so he just made the very clear case that jealousy on God's part is not small-minded and it's not petty and it's not sinful. But I think the point in our sermon on Sunday was more worship-oriented that, mm-hmm. oh, that's what it was. What we He was talking about the Pharisees where the religious leaders were jealous of the attention the apostles were getting. Because they they were persecuting right. the apostles because all these people were starting to follow them, well, follow Jesus. And he made the point that their jealousy showed what they were worshiping. And right. that's why it was a worship issue for me. So that was really thought-provoking for me, that what you're jealous about shows where your heart's ultimate allegiance is. So if I'm jealous of somebody else's, you know, what their husband... Mm-hmm does for their family 
I have an idolatry issue, Mm. not a marriage issue. Is that not, you know, it's not, it's not something in you. It's an idolatry issue for me because I'm worshiping whatever that thing is. Or, you know, if I'm jealous of somebody else's lifestyle, that shows what I most value and it's not Christ. So I thought that was a really, in our world, like having worked at Peacemakers and been in the biblical counseling world, we hear a lot about heart questions, Yep. but the one, what makes you jealous of somebody else has never, hmm. I've never heard that. That's a good thought to end on. So that's the question. What makes you jealous? And we did have a couple of responses to my text last on the last episode, but I won't get into it because it's kind of past. Oh, we were running out yeah. of time. Well, we got kind of serious there towards the end and. That first one's not, you know, they're ridiculous. Ooh, spam call. Yeah. Anyway, you guys, Molly did mention she's wearing a People Are Weird and Hard shirt that's in our shop. And I was wearing my my Live in Truth hoodie, which has kind of this cool looking uh, brain and heart uh, graphic on it with some kind of a tattoo font, Live in Truth hoodie. And my buddy was like, oh, I really like that. I should get one of those. My wife listens to the show regularly. And I'm like, sweet. So you can buy all of this cool swag on toobusytoflush.com. But what we really like is if you subscribe to our show and tell your friends about us. Um, that's that's really Because that's cool. what makes us jealous. That's where our heart allegiance um, is. I'm no, just kidding. No, I'm just no. Kidding. I don't get jealous at other podcasts' success and not my own, which is fine because I'm not, I have no ambitions for the show whatsoever. <laughs> anyway, we do appreciate um, you guys giving us your time and your eardrums and uh, appreciate the feedback. Um, you can email us at tb2f, uh, the letters tb2, number 2f, at pm.me, papamike.me, or you can you know send me a text if you want at 406-318-7136. And uh, follow us on Instagram if you want. Give us a follow. We don't post a whole lot there. So um, anyway, yeah, if you like us, leave us a review. But tell your friends about us because that's kind of fun. We enjoy being here. We enjoy uh, blessing you guys and... Uh, entertaining you for a little bit so um that's it that's all i got we'll hopefully talk to you guys next week yeah that